You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Clock. Mark, did you turn my mic off? No, I don't I touch your mic. It's 13 minutes before the hour of eight is when I really start getting in the groove on when my mic's You're very on. very loud right now. Do you like there. that? It probably went over your mic. Uh, anyway, 14 minutes before the hour of eight o'clock. My name is Jake Quarry. Kevin Bowen here as well. Kevin, if you had on your bingo card over the weekend, offensive line coaching change. You might have actually been excited when you saw the headlines because you thought, yep, I knew it. The Colts had to make this change. Nope, actually, that was in the college ranks. Indiana, Tom Allen announcing that Darren Hiller, the offensive line coach and run game coordinator, is being replaced by former Northern Illinois and Temple head coach Rod Carey. We shall see what that means for Indiana's problems in protecting the quarterback as they get set for Maryland But the real focus, I think, for most people is on the offensive line at the professional level in this state of the Indianapolis Colts. And kind of the musical chairs, that's problem number one, the the inconsistency. Uh, Your thoughts now on the O-line for the Colts as they get set for a very aggressive defense in Jacksonville. Yeah, and a D-line that's whipped the Colts, frankly, in in recent meetings. Um, Outside of Quentin Nelson at left guard, I don't write anything in Sharpie. For this weekend, I think Braden Smith needs to be at right tackle. That's probably the other one I would get close to writing in Sharpie. Um, I think it was pretty clear on Thursday night that you didn't have one good offensive tackle playing, let alone two with Bernard Ryman at left tackle and Matt Pryor at right tackle. So that's not a pairing that I would want to see again at tackle, especially because Josh Allen for Jacksonville is a really dynamic edge rusher. Um, Jake, I was thinking more about this, though. And I feel like we hinted at it, but I just I think there was more evidence to this offensive line taking a step back. Again, as big of a step back as we've seen so far, no. I mean, I'm not going to act like I thought this would be a broken O-line group five weeks into the season. But last year, it was not an elite group. It was a group that I think was good, you know, maybe a little bit better than good. But in particular, in pass protection, I think had some issues. And then I think back to training camp where I thought Detroit controlled the line of scrimmage in the joint practices. And then I know that the playing time wasn't a ton during the preseason, but that preseason opener in Buffalo, you had your starting O line out there for the first series. Several penalties, a strip sack. Frank Reich left the starting unit in for an extra series in that first preseason game. I think mainly because the offensive line. Had some issues. Week two of the preseason, he leaves Matt Pryor and Danny Pinter in the starting lineup with the backups. The Colts played all backups in that game, but he left Pryor and Pinter in there. Clearly a sign he wasn't pleased with their performance so far at Grand Park and in the preseason. And then the final preseason game against Tampa, where you played your starters more, albeit against a really good Tampa front, your offensive line got dominated in that game. So I think there were signs of it dating back to last season and then what we saw this offseason whether it was the joint practices or the playing time in the preseason where this is a group not just prior Pinta related of I just think it's wear and tear on Ryan Kelly over the years Braden Smith hasn't been perfect by any means Um, and then you couple that with some communication issues early in the season and here you are heading into a week six matchup and you literally feel confident in one maybe two O-line starters? So so let me ask you this. If you were to look at it, and listen, he's a he's a really nice guy. He's come on this show, and he was a good guest, and I know that he's had, terribly speaking, some, some tragedy within his family life, talking about Ryan Kelly, who's been a good player. But I think you are correct, Kevin, in saying that it is fair to say that he is a, a good player who has regressed some here, right? So if you were to replace, let's say you were to replace Ryan Kelly with Danny Pinter, would you feel, A, comfortable making that move? I I would bench Ryan Kelly. Okay. And and I know that contractually that's not the move to make, but I think you're at a point right now where it's time to look at Pinter at, at center. Okay. So if that's the case then that shakes things up because then who do you replace Pinter with? Yeah, who who plays right guard? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's – and we're going to have Joel Erickson on in less than 10 minutes. Jake, I think a, a 
thing the Colts have to discuss with themselves is, and I get it, when you're discussing something as a staff in early to mid-October, short-term is what you're thinking about. You know, what's the best five you can put out there for this Sunday against Jacksonville? There'd be an ounce of me that would want to think a little long-term. You know, do you want Bernard Ryman to get this baptism by fire that he clearly got last Thursday night? Do you want a guy like Will Fries to be in the lineup? He's young. Um, If I'm going super short-term, I'd put Nelson at left guard. I think I'd put Penner at center. I'd leave Braden Smith at right tackle, right guard. I would go with uh, Matt Pryor and left tackle. I'd probably um, I'd see what Dennis Kelly, the former Purdue product, can do. Really, he's got over fifty career starts. I know a lot of it is at right tackle. Uh, Frank Reich didn't express some like glowingly ringing endorsement for Dennis Kelly when he was asked about him on Friday. But if you're going short term, that's what I would do. Now, if you're going to think a little long term, I'd leave Ryman there at left tackle, but you better be ready to help him because uh, there's certainly some some growing pains there. And then you then you get into, okay, do you put Will Fries at right guard? Um, but Nelson at left guard and Braden Smith at right tackle, those need to be definites. And okay. I'll say it for the um, umpteenth time because I know people are going to ask or people are going to think about it. Quentin Nelson does not want to play left tackle. He doesn't want to play left tackle. And well, some could argue and say, well, he, he should play left tackle. He's making $20 million. Well, he does not want to play left tackle, and he's not going to play left tackle. I, whether or not you I, – I get it. I'm speaking rhetorically here. When did athletes who get paid a lot of money get to determine where exactly they play? I think you could argue, would he be good over there, Jake? I mean, he's never played that, left Now, that's fair. Left, that's a, a fair point. He but the whole, it. like – didn't play I, I in Notre Dame. That, I get that you got to have a guy invested in order for him to be effective, but, uh, you know. I think the result, Jake, could be similar to Braden Smith moving into right guard on Thursday night. Now you're making multiple positions Correct. Susceptible. It's a domino effect, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, to a great extent, the domino effect on the Colts' offensive line can start around the fact, you know, a lot of times these mm-hmm. things are falling because of a weakness right in the middle. To your point, I mean, you make a – Ryan Kelly's regressed. And I don't know if this matters, Jake, but, like, Ryan Kelly wasn't voted a captain this year. They had a lot of captains. You right. would think Kelly, based off experience, he's the longest-tenured Colt, and he's a pro bowler. I would say on most teams, if you're a pro bowler and you're the longest-tenured player on the team, you're a captain. And you're kind of the quarterback of the line, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't want to I don't want to put, like, a ton of stock in it, but benching him would not be like benching, I think, Again, somebody that does wear the C on their chest. Sun starting to rise on what looks to be a really nice Monday, Columbus Day, correct? Is it? Is that not now known as Indigenous People Day? Yeah, I think it wasn't there a big debate about that. I think that's right. The same, my friends in Australia were telling me the same in Australia with the Aboriginals and, oh, is it um, Captain Cook that discovered Australia? And then yeah, that the sounds same, right. The same debates or discussions, I should say. It's a Monday for us without recapping the Colts game as they just played on Thursday night football. The weekend off for our next guest, Joel A. Erickson from the Indianapolis Star, joins us. Joel, it's kind of a wild question. Or if you would have told us that we would be asking, that I would be asking this question on August 10th, I would have been like, what? But here it is, October 10th. And I can feel confident in one offensive line starter for this Sunday. If I handed you a blank slate, what would you pencil in as your five offensive line starters for this Sunday? Cool, that is a good one. And it is crazy that it's that, it's that hard. Uh, Nelson at left guard, that's the easy one. I think the rookie at left tackle. Is Braden Smith at right tackle an easy one or no? Not not anymore, and I, I don't necessarily think it's – I think they just don't feel like they have anybody who can play right guard. Um, but, but I mean, Pryor was – like, I, I was thinking that maybe we see Dennis Kelly this week at right tackle because that's what more of what he's played. And then, obviously, at center, it's either, you know, is, is Ryan Kelly hurt? Do we see Pinner again? But that right side of the line, you know, Pryor struggled – Pryor wasn't any better on that side – and 
And so if you, if you play Dennis Kelly, I think he's got to play tackles. Then maybe Braden Smith's at guard. It's, it's crazy. You're right. It's crazy how difficult that is to guess the starting line with most of them healthy. Does a healthy Ryan Kelly have his starting job without question? I don't know. I, I, I think everything's up. I think everything's up for grabs with this offensive line right now. I really do. I mean, they, they, they made the big move last week. They're, it's it's pretty clear to them that that they they have to figure out something on that offensive line. And so I, I think, especially with actually moving Raiden Smith to guard last week in an effort to get something going, I, I think everything's up for for grabs right now. Okay, so um, that that leads Joe for me to to a two part question. And part one would be. Isn't this like the most dangerous week ever to start tinkering with this? And I, I, I get that it may that it's out of necessity, but uh, you know Jacksonville. When you're talking about a front four defensively, Jacksonville might be as good as they're going to see, right? I mean, we know that already. And I would argue a, last week was dangerous with no practice time. Well, yeah, with no practice time for sure. But like, but this is, I mean, this is a huge challenge for whoever's going to be out there, right? Yeah, it is. But the the flip side of it is that just about the whole season has has been dangerous um, for for Matt Ryan and for for anybody. I mean, it's the the more you get away from the game on Thursday and everything, I just keep coming back to like this this offensive line is what's holding everything back. And uh, in the absence of in the uh, you know with the, with them I, was, I assume doubling down on everything they're trying to teach and and do stuff there there were max protections on Thursday that disintegrated um you know seven guys into block and and they disintegrated on Matt Ryan and so i think you've got to do whatever you think maybe has a chance uh, you, you have the extra couple days here with with it being a uh, a weekend with having a weekend off, but I think more more so than anything, it's just it's been so bad that they're they just have to keep trying until they find something I, that's even remotely workable. Joel, at, at what point do we in the media, but more so the fans, at what point do people just revolt and go, "This is unacceptable"? I, this is the one area that we were told not to worry about that there was going to be depth and this is where it was going to be built and this is where they were going to be good, and we're five weeks in and we're still screwing around with this crap. Like like at what point are people going to are the are the natives going to get restless and just say enough? Oh, I think we're there. <laughs> I think we've. It feels like we've been there. <laughs> um, it feels like it feels like everyone's pretty restless with that. I the, the hard part is I think from a coaching staff standpoint, I from a, from I shouldn't say from a, from a personnel standpoint, they're getting close to the point where they don't they don't have a whole lot more cards they can play based on what they've got on the roster right now. I mean. Dennis Kelly is kind of the last one. I, I don't think that Wesley French or Luke Tenuta is is realistically going to solidify everything. So they're they're, they're getting close to the point where the, the personnel is is that they just don't have a whole lot of cards left to play. Um, but if it, like I said, if, if, and we keep coming back to this. If they can't get this remotely fixed, it's good. They're going to have to win a lot of games the way you want on Thursday. It's just not not possible. Joel, a name that I was, I would say, a bit confused by this offseason with not only how things played out with him and the Colts, but really with how things have played out with him in the NFL, was Eric Fisher. Um, do you have any background on that one? Because I, I, part of me thought to myself, okay, you always hear this. The second year removed from the torn Achilles, that's when a guy really starts to get back to his normal self. I think we're seeing Dio Dangbo have some flashes of that. Granted, much younger than Eric Fisher, but they both tore their Achilles very similar times. I thought, you know what? If you know, if Ryman isn't ready, you know, maybe a guy like Fisher bringing him in, you know, to kind of calm the waters a little bit. But he remains a free agent. I don't. I don't think I've seen his name really rumored anywhere. Yeah, same here. My understanding in the offseason was that the Colts and Fishers camp talked for a while, and then uh, essentially that the Colts weren't going where Fisher wanted them to go, and so that's that's when they had a, um, you know, sort of a this this just isn't going to happen this year. Um, and then I I don't know much since then. I don't know much about what's happened since then, but it's it, it's it's wild that an NFL where there's offensive line problems all over the league hasn't signed him at all. So uh, I don't know if that's just the tape he put out last year or what, but it feels like 
especially, you know, I mean, there's teams like the Jets that have lost like three starting tackles. Um, you know, it, you'd think that he'd be he'd be back in it by now. I, I don't know exactly what's gone on there for him not to end up in a in a league that's honestly starved for offensive linemen right. uh, outside of just Indianapolis. He's Joel A. Erickson, and he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You can find Joel's work at the Indianapolis Star. Does an outstanding job. Okay, non-offensive line division, Joel. The Colts don't have their bye week until December whatever. So this is the one chance to kind of reset, as Frank Reich said on Friday, do some self-scouting. Again, not O-line division. What else do you think needs some attention, playing time tweaks, where do you kind of look at for some adjustments potentially coming out of the mini buy? Well, they've they've kind of been doing this more and more, but I mean, one of the obvious ones on defense to me is that Isaiah Rogers just needs to be on the field. Um, and he is starting to play more than Brandon Faison, but still, it, yes, it, it yes. is the last three weeks he has played more, but there still is a little bit of a rotation. And I mean, I feel like what we've seen in the last two weeks is a indicator that it should just be Rogers. Um, so that's that's one. Uh, in terms of in terms of defensively, kind of an interesting question that I didn't anticipate having was, you know, that they can really let Julian Blackman get healthy because Rodney Thomas is playing really well, and and uh, when they get back, you know, is there a rotation there? I mean, you don't usually do that with safety, but Rodney Thomas is just playing so well right now. Um, maybe he would have had a couple picks if the referee hadn't committed offensive pass interference on Thursday. Um, and then on offensively, it's it's got to be hard, I think, for the Colts to evaluate some of the other spots and other positions. Like when you go back and watch the the, the game again, it, there's 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 receivers that are open and they're they're down the field a little bit more. It just feels like everyone is going to play short coverage and cover all the short routes and try to take away the quick throw for Ryan because they know they can get to him. And so it's, it's hard to figure out anything else about the offense and what tweaks they might have, because until they have protection there, it it just seems like we're going to see the same movie over and over again. Uh, It's a bad movie. No one wants to see it, but it's the one, it's the one that keep, they keep trotting out because if, if you're a defensive coordinator right now, you go, Okay, well they they're going to try to throw quick because they don't think they can protect and we don't think they can protect. So we'll we'll keep our coverage up there. And then anything else is going to take a little bit longer and if I mean if you go back and watch from from last Thursday, there's a lot of routes that that are starting to come open but Ryan's already under duress or going down. I realize that one game, Joel Erickson of the Indianapolis Stars our guest. I realize that one game does not, you know, a season make. But if the Colts are in a situation, if Jonathan Taylor's not able to go again, I don't know that that's going to be the case, but if they continue to get good play by running back by committee, will it in any way, shape, or form make them reassess the amount or the cap that they're willing to shell out for Jonathan Taylor in a second contract? That's a good question. Um it's going to be a tough decision anyway. I think I think with running back and with the cap exploding, I think part of it, I don't know that they're going to have to shell out nearly as much as everybody thinks they are. Um, you know, if you go back and look at the Nick Chubb deal, I think it was three for 36 or something like that that the Browns gave him. That's kind of the new running back deal. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you're going to, I don't know how much more they're going to be able to get from that given that position. But uh, Deion Jackson on Thursday, that's the best I've ever seen him look in a Colts uniform as a, as a running back, I should say in a Colts uniform where that's, that's the practice field. That's training camp. That's all that stuff. It, that's the best I've ever seen him look. And it was, it was pretty impressive uh, considering, um, you know, the, the troubles they were having blocking people that on that day. Joel A. Erickson from the star is with us here on the Payless Lickers hotline. Joel, I know the skill sets are different, but to go back to the earlier question about like what do you want to see change coming out of the mini bye week, uh, Paris Campbell snaps for me need to decrease significantly, and Alec Pierce's snaps need to increase significantly. I think it was like a thirty snap gap between those two. Campbell out snapping Pierce by about thirty snaps on Thursday night. I, I, again, I I understand one's a slot, one plays more on the outside, but I just think Pierce has got to be on the field more. 
No, that's a good one, KB. That's a good one because Campbell's been on the field a lot for not not a ton of targets or um, or production so far. And and I think I think Pierce and I, I think may probably Ashton Doolin too. Um, you know, he, he came out of last week with a little bit of injury. Don't know where that is yet, but like. You know, Doolin's had some moments here in this early part of the season where you thought, where I felt like he was doing some of the stuff that you could see out of the slot and being productive with it. Um, and I think I think that's a good point because I I could be wrong. I got, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think with Pittman missing one game, Campbell has taken more snaps, or at least going into the Broncos game, he had taken more snaps than any, any other wide receiver, and they just haven't had that. They just haven't had that that kind of production from him, and you know the the offensive line I think plays into that, but it plays into it for all the receivers. And you know what we saw from Alec Pierce the other day was was really good. I I just I just found it. He's played five less snaps than Pittman. Uh, Pittman obviously missed an entire game, but he's got 289 snaps so far. Pierce and Doolin don't have that combined. Pierce has 155. Doolin has 113. I think you could definitely make that change and make it more of a Pittman, I think, is always on the field, and I think the other three, you you could even that out some. I just, you know, Joel, I have said, and you tell me if you think this is off base, but I know at the beginning of the year, I was ta- when we were talking about the tight end position, and I was saying that, you know, every quarterback, I don't care who it is, every quarterback has that receiver that you can tell is just kind of their safety net. Like they just feel safe with that guy on the field when all hell's breaking loose and the pocket's breaking down that they know that's their bailout guy. They can just find him and he's going to make a play for them. And usually it is a tight end player because of the proximity, obviously. It feels to me like for Matt Ryan, all of a sudden that the, he's turned the corner where actually Alec Pierce is becoming that guy for him. Uh, am I giving this relationship too much credit at this point? I I think it's Pittman and Pierce, but I, I think that Pierce's game on Thursday uh, definitely accelerates that specific thing. I mean, we, you're right. We did see it some against Tennessee too, but you go back and look at some of the catches Pierce made in contested situations. Uh, and that's, that's exactly the kind of thing you're talking about. Even if, even if a guy is covered, you feel like you can get it, go that way and you're, you're going to be in good shape. I mean, the one that got deflected, uh, if you go back and watch that one again, Pierce told me Pierce told me after the game in the locker room that he was just trying to break up the intersection interception and came away with a cut with a catch. And that's the kind of thing that a quarterback just it's impossible for them not to make a mental note of that. You know, that ball didn't get to where I needed to get to. He made the play. Um, Pierce Pierce is is his I don't think we talked a lot about this. Uh with him either in the draft or, or in training camp. We might not, we don't really see it from him in training camp, but he's, he's really good at using his body to kind of ward off defenders and, and make catches. And I think that that's the kind of thing that that's the security blanket you're talking about. Joel A. Erickson from the star. He's with us here on Kevin and Query. Joel, just a couple more um, injury wise update. You guys that were in Denver, did Frank Reich mentioned that optimistic about Jonathan Taylor for this Sunday. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I, th- I think they feel, they feel like they felt good as, at least as, as much as last week, you know? Um, and so that he, he's probably, he probably has a pretty good chance this week. Okay. And then Quiddy pay. Um, I guess we're assuming that's a multi-week thing for him. Uh, if so, you think that's more Taekwon Lewis or more Dio Dengbo? I think it's probably a combination, and I, I wouldn't have said that before, but Dio has, has made some plays here of late and probably forced his way into that, you know? Um, early on early on this season, it felt like they really only had five defensive linemen. But it, kind of going back to some of the adjustments you have to make, I think one of the, ones, one of the adjustments they have to make on the defensive line is they're, they're getting some plays from Odengbo, and maybe, maybe you need to increase his time and see if – you can get a little bit more of that. It, it, he's, I think he's got one and a half sacks, but there's also been a couple of plays. Like there was a play against the Broncos that they tried a bootleg, which Colts fans know has been a, a bugaboo for this defense for a while now. And Odengbo was right there with Wilson. And, you know, just kind of a – it forced an incompletion. And it, it's a play you maybe forget about, but it's it's a play that needed to be made and, and has gone for big yardage against the Colts in the past. And I think that you probably with, – with, with pay out – 
I think you probably um, you probably rotate those guys and play them. Um, plus, you have to somebody else has to go kind of in the middle too for the pass rushing downs. And Grover Stewart's not out there. I I can't imagine. Last time I saw Quiddy Pay in the locker room, he was on he was he had a boot on his foot and he was using uh, crutches. So um, plus, you know, obviously, reportedly a, a high ankle sprain. Those generally take some time. So I I'd be surprised if he's back out there. Joel, when you scan through the locker room, Joel A. Erickson of the Indianapolis Stars, our guest on the Payless Lakers guest line. When you, when you go through the locker room and you're talking to players, you know, this has not been a, a disastrous start all told for the Colts. There have been highs, there have been lows, but I could see where there would be frustrations. Is there a particular player that you to you seemingly seems more – uncomfortable or frustrated with either their role or the way things are going than others? Is there anybody that jumps out at you where you go, yeah, that guy is clearly not pleased with what's been asked of him or what they've done? Um, I don't know if I've gotten anything where the, the there's a player who's upset with the coaching staff. I know Quentin Nelson is not happy about the way the offensive line's played. Um but I think that Quentin is generally more of the type of person who go, we like that's on us to fix. Um, but yeah, he he's he, he he specifically after a couple of games has been pretty frustrated. I um, I think Jonathan Taylor's frustrated, but again, Taylor's another guy who I think is just frustrated that it's it's been hard and it's not supposed to be hard, you know, based on his his background. So I, I don't know if I have anybody who's in the locker room that I think is just you know, furious at the coaching staff right now, at least outwardly, that comes to mind. Again, he's Joel A. Erickson from the Star, and he is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joel, hope you enjoyed a quiet weekend. If I'm not mistaken, I believe there's a baby on the way very soon, so good luck with that. And I guess hopefully I'll see you out there, but maybe not. (laughs) Yeah, you'll you'll see me early this week. Uh, At least that's the way things are trending right now. And then, uh, yeah, Thursday. Thursday, and then we're just going to see how it goes after Thursday. Um, but, yeah, our, our third our third is on the way. Uh, it's almost here. And I, I kept telling myself that when I got to Denver, when I headed out to Denver, that that basically meant the baby was here and that it kind of snuck up on me. So <laughs> trying to uh, – this is the first time I've had a, a baby in the middle of uh, – like the middle middle of the regular season so that's going to be a little bit of a different thing well in the biggest understatement of all understatements i think i echo everyone's sentiments let's pray that that goes a little bit smoother than last thursday night (laughs) did so (laughs) i think we all can agree on that i i looked up what the thursday game was this week and uh I think I'm watching playoff baseball. I think that's the uh, in, in the hospital room. I think I don't think I'm watching any uh, of Amazon's broadcast. Yeah, introduce your little one to Justin Fields and Carson Wentz. Boy, that's that's like me introducing Max to Notre Dame and Marshall. That was the first game that he got a witness in this world. Yeah, you got to be careful with that stuff. Better just to turn on the playoff baseball and and not you know not let anything subliminal get into his head about. <laughs> state of quarterback play good luck with everything we'll be thinking of you man and as always thank you okay appreciate it guys i'm really looking forward to wednesday night it'll be my first look at the pacers this season preseason home opener is wednesday just caught bits and pieces mainly highlights of their first two preseason games but i believe wednesday and friday both of these preseason games at home will start the 84 game slate for bally sports and the TV voice that you will hear will be Chris Denary. Chris, do I have that right? Wednesday and Friday? Both of those on TV? Yeah. Yes, Wednesday and Friday, 7 o'clock. Uh, we don't have pregame shows or postgame shows for the preseason. Uh, that will start with a one-hour pre- uh, pregame show uh, a week from Wednesday for the home opener against Washington. But you're right. Uh, we'll have both games on Wednesday and Friday. I assume I, – I think you and Quinn maybe were, like did league pass for the first game – and then I, I just assume that you caught some of the second preseason game. Uh, anything stand out to you in particular about what you've seen so far? Yeah, uh, we, we did do the league pass game last Wednesday in Charlotte. I thought the Pacers played very well. Uh, they didn't shoot the ball at all very well from three-point range, but they got to the free-throw line. I thought their defense was really strong. And then you flip that to Friday night against the Knicks. The, the defense wasn't nearly as good. Uh, their ability to finish in the paint wasn't as good. If you go back to the Charlotte game, 
guys, they scored 72 points in the paint and were very efficient. Uh, they really struggled in that game against the Knicks. But I think, I think you're going to see that this year with a young team. Uh, there are going to be some highs and some lows. Uh, but, but, you know, it's just good to see this group get together and, and play a couple of games. Uh, I've been very impressed by Benedict Matherin and his ability to get to the rim. Uh, he did not shoot the ball from three-point range very well in game one, but shot it pretty well in game two. And uh, he just has a, a charisma, uh, you know, something that a lot of times you don't find in a 20-year-old or in a rookie. And I just think he's going to be a huge bright spot for this team. Chris, I think that here's what's interesting to me. You know, Rick Carlisle just said yesterday that, hey, this is going to be an interesting season. It's going to be fun for fans. Um to all kind of grow together, I think, is what the Pacers' mentality is of, listen, and I applaud them for being candid about the fact, hey, we're, we're, we are start, kind of starting over and, and starting from scratch with good young players and letting it build organically over, let's say, a two-year process. Now, having said that, Kevin and I keep talking about over-under. The Pacers aren't going to come out and say, look, we're tanking, but I think that they would not be upset if they fall into the lottery. I'll put it that way. But they may be too talented to completely do that because even though they're young, Chris, I think they're going to have nights where it all comes together for them and they're going to win some games that they're not expected to win. And they they may, based on talent alone, win 25 to 30 games even without trying. Is that a fair statement? We need 30, by the well, way. <laughs> if, if you look at last year, um, 25 wins, uh, but – there were so many close losses. I mean, even before the, the trades, uh, the, you know, the trades were made that, that changed the, you know, the look of the team. Um, you know, their inability to close out games in the, in the fourth quarter, they really struggled. And so, you know, you, you never wonder you, or you wonder what, what that record might have been if they could have changed that. But, but I, I think what, what, what the focus is on is developing this young group and this core of players that I think can be pretty good over the next few years. And guys of the 18 guys on the training camp roster, 11 are 24 years and younger. And you look at a guy like Miles Turner, who is the longest tenured pacer. He's in his eighth year. He's only 26 years old. So the bulk of this team is very, very young. Uh, the bulk of this team has not played together. And so I think that's something that I think – you look at yesterday uh, from a fan jam perspective, and I know last year we were still in the in the throes of COVID and things were different. And two years ago, uh, you know, you didn't really have a fan jam. Uh, I, I was very impressed. I mean, the, the the crowd was really strong. They're excited, um, and and I think these players feel that. And I think I think that will help this team in games as you're talking about, Jake. That that they're going to have some really, really good wins this year because of that. Chris Denary, TV voice of the Pacers, is with us here on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Chris, you and I have had this conversation. I'm, I I really think they are going to exceed that win total. And I guess two reasons, and I was hoping you could provide a little bit more context behind this. What's the stat on the end-of-game situations last season? Games decided by like four or five points. I, I feel like they were just abysmal in that. I think there's an element of just you will – out of luck, you're going to find your ways on the right side of those a little bit more than you did last year. And then over like 400 games missed due to injury, you got to think health-wise, they're going to be better than they were last year. No question about that. They were number two or three in the league in games missed due to injury at around 400. And, you, and you're right. The I don't have the number right in front of me, uh, but, but that number was large in the games decided by nine points or less and the game's decided by five points or less. And so those are numbers that easily can be flipped around and can, can change your season and add five or six wins. So there, there's no question about that. I mean, they were, they were dead last last year in, in that situation. And you would have to think as this group improves and as they get to know each other, I mean, this was all happening last year, guys. At the end of the year, there were times you'd look out on the floor and there were four or five guys that had played for the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, right. and they were on the floor together. So, so there are a lot of things that can change during the course of the year if this team can stay healthy and 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 continue the improvement that we hope we'll see. Yeah, that's going to generate a few more wins uh, just because you're going to play better. 
Chris, I'm going to give you a kind of off-the-wall question here. I know that's shocking. Somebody's listening right now in their car. They've got a nine-year-old kid, boy or girl, either one. And they think, you know what? I, I really want my kid to become a Pacer fan, so I'm going to select a player for my child to follow and root for. I'm going to go buy him a T-shirt or a jersey of this player. And Benedict Matherin would be the obvious because he's a first-round pick. But I want to find a player that just is a good role model for my child in terms of working hard, following through and doing the right things, waiting your turn, being ready when your name is called, and just a good role model. You tell them to buy the jersey of who? Uh, I had a chance to visit with his dad yesterday at Fan Jam, and and maybe this is an easy one. I I just think Tyrese Halliburton uh, is picture perfect for that. And I think the Pacers have a lot of good guys, a lot of quality guys that you would want your nine-year-old son or daughter to emulate. But when I talked to uh, Tyrese's dad yesterday, we were just talking about him as a kid and how he hates to lose and how he's going to, to do all he can to do that. Um, you can see that, that he, he was brought up uh, in that way. And the one thing in talking to Tyrese, uh, probably during the first week of practice, um, I mentioned to him, I said, hey, Tell me about your comfort level now. You, you came over in a trade right around, you know, the All-Star break. You played about 25 games. This is your home now. What is that like for you? And he got a big smile, and he said, I am so excited. I, I, I want to be the leader of this team, and with leadership comes responsibility. And if the team is not doing the things that are necessary and it's, this is not even wins and losses, but to achieve the things that we want to achieve, that's a reflection on me. So then I have to do a better job to help lead this group. That told me all I needed to know. And so uh, of all the guys, and again, Miles Turner, what he's done in this community for eight years, I mean, all the guys from top to bottom, but there's no question that number zero, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, possesses those things that you would want your son or daughter to have. And I think the thing that's interesting, Chris, is with Tyrese Halliburton, everything seems to be there to the point where based on Paul George and Victor Oladipo becoming stars while members of the Pacer franchise and growing into that, and we saw how that worked out, there has to be that little bit of hesitation, is there not, of like, okay, Halliburton has seems to have the it factor, and this is the guy we can build around, but let's make sure that we don't get burnt by him becoming too big. Is that a fair statement? Well, I mean, you, you've had you've had two guys that, you know, if, if you look at it, their best years, uh, and I know Paul George is still a, an all-NBA player, but... He, he is most remembered for those playoff series against Miami, right? Uh, I mean, that's how he's remembered. And clearly, Victor Oladipo ha- had his best years in a Pacers uniform. So I get where you're coming from. I, I just think Tyrese has the it factor. I think the fact that he's uh, you know, from the Midwest, uh, he's from Wisconsin. Um, you know, I saw his girlfriend and his parents yesterday. I mean, they're all in. I mean, that family is all in with who and what the Indiana Pacers are. And I don't think you can ask for anything better. And uh, I just think I think he's going to be a really, really special player uh, for the Pacers over the next number of years. Chris, like I said, to lead off the uh, interview, really looking forward to Wednesday night. Always enjoy the listen with yourself and um, looking forward to... This season, I think it's an exciting era, and fans should be very intrigued. I saw you mentioned yesterday how big the crowd was, and um, I think that's well-deserved for the Pacers and eager to see things unfold. I'm looking forward to having you on more during the season, and uh, we'll be watching Wednesday night. All right, thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Man, it looks nice outside. Good-looking day. Like 70s early in the week, right? I think that's right. I've got a cousin in from Florida. She's a lifelong Floridian. Got 40s next week. And she's like, it is freezing here. I'm like, just give it a month. It is the weather, though, where it's like you go multi-layer, though. Oh. Mornings, you're wearing, you know, a couple layers to the car, (laughs) and then you're shedding it. Yeah, it's frustrating for sure. Later in the day. All right, it's time to hand out our GOAT of the Weekend. And again, this goes two ways for us. You could have the all-caps GOAT of the Weekend, or you could go... Lowercase goat. Jake, why don't you get us? 
who is the GOAT <laughs> or GOAT this guy sucks of the week. Now, wait a minute, right, Mark. Now that's you a, can do it. Now, hold on. That's that's improperly put together. I think you added some there, Mark. I did add something. What so, do you want? Well, the, the first, when you have the sound effects of goat, mm-hmm. that would imply the goat meaning that guy's a goat like he the was the- of all time. No, because that's what the second is. When you so on that on that intro, play that again because they, we, when you we, the Jake's gonna have to cut our own promos now. Okay, now hold on. Who is the goat <laughs> or goat? This guy sucks of the week. See, I think of like the net. I, I think of that as being the goat of like you're the Billy Goat. You're the you're the bad goat. Right. Well, let's not overthink it on a Monday. Production duties off to you then. <laughs> let's be grateful for Mark here. I'll, I'll come in at four on Monday like Mark did, yeah. putting these together, and that's what he gets uh, for. Jake's it. hired an um, audio tutor now to try and get us through these. I, I will take, by the way, I will take the good side goat. Uh, there are a few guys that Kevin. I think you said it best earlier. He may be the best ever to play his position in the history of the league. Yesterday, when it mattered most and Baltimore needed points, they once again called on the very trusty, very accurate, and very strong leg of Justin Tucker, who now has hit 61 consecutive field goals, this from Field Yates, in the fourth quarter or overtime. 61 consecutive field goals in fourth quarter or overtime, including 27 of them from 40 or more yards. That is absurd. 18 for 18 in his career on field goals in the final minute of regulation or overtime. He has never missed a kick when a game is on the line. Justin Tucker. That absolutely. All respect to Adam Vinatieri, who hit, obviously, is the most clutch in terms of the pressure of a moment of multiple kicks. But in terms of consistency over the course of a career, Justin Tucker. The GOAT. (laughs) And like when you watch, is that him, okay to play? You can criticize that too. When you watch him kick, I just feel like the ball just booms oh, off man. his foot. They, I was listening to the radio broadcast because uh, I was driving from Illinois, and they were saying that at when pre pregame he was practicing seventy yarders and hitting a couple. I mean, remember the Detroit game last year? He made that yeah. game winner from was it sixty eight? Yeah, off the crossbar. Yeah, he is. I, I'm watching the end of the Eagles Cardinals game. And thinking, boy, the Cardinals need to get to like the ten yard line for me to feel good about this. Once the Ravens crossed midfield last night, I was like, okay, yeah, I can go to bed. Yeah, Tucker's gonna make this, and right down the middle. Um, okay, I'll go lowercase goat, and I will hand this award to someone that will be inside of Lucas Oil Stadium here in a few weeks. That would be Carson Wentz. Uh, three chances. <laughs> on the goal line yesterday to beat the Titans. I know part of me is like, well, he did lead him down the field, but you pay the quarterback that type of money uh, to make those plays on the goal line. They probably, if they would have used their time a little better, they probably, well, I guess he threw an interception on third down. They probably could have had four shots at it. He almost got picked off, picked off on first down, threw it into coverage on second down, and then third down the interception there on the goal line. So not only uh, do the commanders lose, but... And directly the Colts lose because Tennessee gets a W, and now Washington sits at one and four, and they're looking up at the four and one Cowboys, the four and one Giants, and the five and zero Eagles, and thinking to themselves, is Carson Wentz going to make it to seventy percent of playing time? Therefore, the draft pick would either be a second rounder coming to the Colts next year, or a third rounder if he gets benched before. That's that. Great point by you. I, that's a a real interesting dynamic for Colts fans to watch, right? That was a double whammy yesterday in the lowercase goat. And uh, again, a credit to Jason for mentioning this to me yesterday when that Wentz play happened. That could have easily been the highlight on the thanks for the memories video for Carson Wentz at Lucas Oil Stadium. (laughs) Missed opportunity there in multiple areas. Thanks for the memories, right? The Eagles now, they moved to undefeated on the year. Um, boy, Nick Sirianni and what he's done there. I remember going on a lot of Philly radio right after that hire was made. And my concern with the Sirianni hire wasn't about the ability to connect with players. or I think he's got a great makeup. I was curious, like, would too much be on his plate? You know, he didn't call the plays here. Right. But he's gone there, and if I'm not mistaken, I don't think he's calling the plays there. Which is interesting. You think offensive hire, 
you'd think that guy would want to call the plays. He's taking a back seat to that. He's managing the operation. And I think that was a really smart decision by him because that allows, I think, his best strength, which is, again, the ability to connect. He's very he's a fiery guy. And clearly, Philadelphia's gravitated towards that. And here they are, 5-0. and They've got Dallas this Sunday night. And then after that, they've got some really easy games on paper before coming to Lucas Oil Stadium to play the Colts. Were you the one, Kevin, that pointed out that Nick Sirianni might have been one within the Colts building that really liked and favored Jalen Hurts coming out of college? I think there was a general we like Hurts from the Reich Sirianni duo. And I don't think that was maybe felt from the scouting department. Gotcha. And I guess just to refresh everybody on that draft, that would have been the 2020 draft. Uh, Michael Pittman was the first Colts pick in that draft, so that was, what, 30? He went right after Certainly T. Certainly a sufficient Higgins, pick. Right? I mean, you know. T. Higgins, I think the Colts would have picked T. Higgins if he would have been there. 33. Um, 34 overall was Pittman. 41 overall was Jonathan Taylor. And then a little bit after that, you had Jalen Hurts go 53 overall. So allow me to ask this, Kevin. And I don't know that we would know this answer. So it's it's almost mere of, of a conjecture. But we have things, for example, Indiana University. Tom Allen made a change at the offensive line coach this week. Not a huge surprise. Indiana has struggled to protect their quarterback. And I feel like that's usually a position of, like, competence for IU. I would agree with that. They've had some NFL players. Yeah. 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 Um, but nonetheless, that was a justified move by Tom Allen. But a lot of people, I think, feel like it was Tom Allen, again, kind of scooping out water that's rising around him. He's not going anywhere, though. But in the case of the Colts, if you have Frank Reich making changes at the offensive line, moving people around, and you have Chris Ballard, the general manager, who has, I think, taken pride in or discussed his ability to build linemen and depth in the trenches. Is there any chance that you have a – in other words, Frank Reich as the coach has been hired and is trusted to be able to make personnel decisions of who's going to be on the field. But does he run the risk of – putting himself in position where he is making changes or personnel moves that are not in alignment with the general manager and thus creating any sort of a divide. I'm not trying to create a divide where one doesn't exist. I'm just asking, do you think there's a balance in the National Football League for a head coach of not only doing what he feels is the best to put the best team out there, but also appeasing the construction of the roster? Yeah, I think that's – a very interesting dyna- dynamic you bring up, Jake. Um, I think the previous regime had an issue with that. I think Ryan Grigson wanted to keep Pep Hamilton and Chuck Pagano wanted to promote his boy, Rob Chizinski. Pep became a scapegoat in that 2015 season, fired after that Monday night game in Carolina. Um, and, you know, if you think back to the Josh McDaniels hire by Ballard, remember Matt Eberflus was, was the Ballard hire. And I always felt like that was... A tad odd. You know, obviously the whole McDaniels to Reich situation is weird. That's obvious. But then all of a sudden, Reich is absorbing, you know, Eberflus, a couple of other assistant coaches. So, like, is Reich the decision maker on Eberflus's job, or is that Ballard? Right. That's what I mean. I mean, you know. Because Reich and Eberflus's defensive philosophies were, or I should say, coaching philosophies were so vastly different in that Reich is much more of aggressive-minded, week-to-week sort of guy. Eberflus is much more of a we'll do what we do, and we'll just do it better than everybody else, and we're not going to be too innovative and too creative week in and week out. So I've always thought that was weird. Now, I nothing is ever like final, final, Jake, but at 8.46 on Monday morning, and I don't know how many people even thought this is a possibility, but I think had you lost Thursday night, it would have been discussed a whole lot. I'm assuming Chris Strasser is going to remain as the Colts' offensive line coach. I, I mean... You're back to work right now. The Colts are back to work today. I don't 
think they get on the practice field today. I thought they might, but I don't think they do. Um, but I would assume if you're going to make that move, and again, 10-day break, this would be the time to do that. It seems like the Colts are not going to do anything on that front. By the way, what did you think about Jim Irsay? Well, I can't believe that 847 now is the first time we're mentioning this. Over the weekend, Jim Irsay sending out uh, a rather – uh, Raquel Welch probably is the most beautiful, like, s- female celebrity of all time. I mean, Shawshank Redemption, need I say more? But um, Jim Mersey sent out a, a tweet with a picture of Raquel Welch that said, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, that ugly win was as beautiful as Raquel Welch, I think is how he said it, or that win was as beautiful as Raquel Welch. Almost like he was trolling, to use that term, people yeah. that, mm-hmm. that were saying it was an ugly win, but... I get it. A win's a win, but do you think fans see that as, look, man, that can't be good enough for you? Well, I, I would think the mentions would indicate everything on that. Um, Jim Mercer had a tweet said, an ugly win is a beautiful thing. That was on Friday morning, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. He also had this video Thursday night, and Mark Dykton's going to play the audio right here. I think Alex Golden, right? Who covers the Pacers. Not to be confused with Alex Pierce. Um, He he pulled this audio um, from Jim Irsay. This was post-game, I think, with Wish TV on Thursday night describing an ugly win. There is no such thing as an ugly win. Okay, and now let me pull up the Twitter. Jim Irsay. Oh, boy, Raquel Welch. Yeah, that's a lot of... A lot there shown. Uh, 1.09 p.m. on Friday, an ugly win is a beautiful thing. From Jim Irsay. Tad contradictory, right? Except for that he's saying an ugly win is a beautiful thing, thus beautiful supersedes ugly, so it actually is not ugly in its own right. There is no such thing as an ugly win. <laughs> also, that's an insult to Raquel Welsh, I feel like. If you're comparing her to that Thursday night game, we had to sit there. Yeah, I'd say that's very... You might compare her to, like, Bill's Chiefs last year yeah. in the playoffs. I, I'm telling you, that, that poster in Shawshank. That was quite the picture that... You, now, do you think Ursa just has that on his phone, or do you think he Google image that <laughs> one? Or how do you think he just... Well, we've seen the artwork in his bathroom, Kevin, in the past. So, he, that might be in the Ursa phone. I, um... Yeah, it was Jason who responded to Jim Irsay, and this is the old... Is this like a military line, Jake? The do not ignore in victory what you would not in defeat? Sounds like a military line. You know what? It is... I don't know, but it's a perfect statement. Perfect statement. Jason, who... Big time listener for us, he tweeted that at Irsay in response. Do not ignore in victory what you would not in defeat. And I said it on Friday's show. It's perfectly said. I heard way too much... After the game on Thursday, and even some on Friday, of we won, everything's okay, we're good. And that is a dangerous, dangerous game to play when you're a football team that's 20 quarters into the season. And while you're 2 2 and 1, I'd argue you've been the superior team for maybe a handful of those quarters. Maybe. I mean,. That, and that can seep into your building. I said, and I know it sounds crazy, but when we came in here Friday morning, what did we say? Now, we were all three kind of in a fog, but you know, I remember saying, like, was that the worst-case scenario? I know the Colts won and you want to win, but like, is that going to set them back more than just a loss would have because they hit the snooze button and just delayed another week? Joel goes, if that ref from the Falcons-Bucks game isn't the GOAT bad, I don't want it. That's <laughs> so true. Joel, I am dead wrong on that. It should not have been Carson Wentz. That was a utterly pathetic call against Tom Brady for roughing the passer as the Bucks beat the Falcons.